This morning we're looking into Mark chapter 2. We're going to share that together. I'm going to be using the New International Version. can also be found in Matthew chapter 9. can also be found in Luke chapter 5. The stories are very, very similar between those three texts. This is actually the condensed version, the Reader's Digest version, if you want to call it that, because normally this would be given to you over two Sundays. You get it in one Sunday. So we're going to just follow along on some peak features out of the text. And I encourage you to follow along. If you're the person that takes notes, down the left side of your column, you can write number one through to ten, because there's ten points in the sermon. Title of the sermon is, When Jesus saw their faith. Well, how do you see faith? Well, I believe faith is really an expression of the heart. What we're feeling will come out of our lives. It'll be expressed in our, in our demeanor, in our emotions. But faith is something that is also expressed in action. It will also be shown that way as we'll see in our text. So why don't you stick with me up on the uh, overhead. You should be seeing the text, which I'll start to read now, Mark chapter 2. And uh, our family has attended several years at Daybreak Church. We've been glad that our community uh, of Airdrie that we've lived in, we've been there about 21 years. And so it's a great community and we uh, enjoy living there. Uh, looking now at Mark chapter 2, verse number 1, reading, as I said, from New International. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get, to, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat, and uh, Lord, the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. If this man was standing before us today, he would be singing away with us, saying, this is a great day the Lord has made. Look what he's done in my life. Well, let's look at that together. This message kind of builds into a crescendo. If you're familiar with sheet music, you'll be familiar with something that's little letters that get written on the score called MP. If you played any music, you would know that means mezzo piano, which means medium soft. You'll also see a letter F on the score, which is kind of calligraphy F, and that means forte, which means loud. It's a building in volume. And then you'll see something that's two Fs beside each other, and it sounds like something you'd eat at a seafood in a, in a Greek restaurant. It's called fortissimo. That means, FF means 
very loud. Well, when I was in high school band, we liked the fortissimo, because that means as a young person, you could blow like crazy on that horn. You could let it all go. That's what's happening in our text. We have 10 points, and they're all building up to this entry into the house. So why don't you stick with me? Point number one out of our text, Mark chapter 2, come home. So when the people heard that Jesus had come home, they gathered to meet with him, and they collected together in this house. Well, why does it call Scripture call Capernaum home? If you remember, Jesus basically grew up in a community called Nazareth. Wasn't that his home? Up till around age 30? Well, you're right. Is it possible that we can have two homes? I basically grew up in Camels, British Columbia. That I'd call home. But for 21 years, we've lived in Airdrie. I'd call that home. What makes this home to Jesus? Think of this home as something of his ministry center, his ministry home. We've already seen, if you went through Mark chapter 1, that he had healed a man from evil spirits. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law, and many other were healed as well in Capernaum, a ministry center for Jesus. Yes, Nazareth was a home. They're probably about 50 kilometers apart from each other, but both were very much homes. And isn't there something about coming home? Isn't that special? Or you'd say, you know, I've been in college for two months, now I'm going home. Isn't that special? Keep that in mind as we get to the end of the service and how we conclude this message, that theme of home. Point number two, how are we doing? We're already on point number two, the audience. And you might think, well, the audience was just the town folk. They had heard that Jesus had come home, so they gathered together, and you would be right. There were probably others who had either seen a miracle Jesus perform heard about the miracle, or maybe they were recipient of the miracle, and they wanted to know more about Jesus. So they heard he was there in this house, and they wanted to see him again, hear him again. So they come to this house, and there's a crowd. Matter of fact, the crowd is so large that it's pouring outside the door into the street or the courtyard. Look at Mark chapter 2 and verse number 2. Isn't it interesting in the text that we read there's something we've heard before. Mark 2, verse number 2, the text says there was so many people that there was no room for them. Heard that before, haven't we? Remember in the time Jesus was born in Bethlehem and there was no room for them in the inn? Seems to be repeating itself in Scripture that folks who want to find Jesus may find obstacles to finding him. No room. That doesn't deter the four men and the paralytic we'll read about here shortly. So who is the audience? Well, the local folks, but I want you to look at one of the other texts with me. If you brought your Bible over to Luke chapter 5, and in verse number 17, Luke's account of this story tells us this. And I got this circled in my Bible. It strikes me that way. Luke 5, verse 17, it says, And the power of the Lord was present for him, that's Jesus, to heal the sick. God's power was present upon Jesus to heal the sick. 
And it goes on to say in verse 17, one day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there at that time. From Jerusalem, from Judea, from Galilee, these Pharisees and teachers of the law had gathered. Now, if we read off into Luke chapter 20, we understand that the Pharisees love places of prominence and importance. So I can envision that what was transpiring here is as they collected at this house, they pushed their way or demanded their way to the very front where Jesus was and sat there at the feet of Jesus. Didn't matter that there were folks there for healing or to hear Jesus. I'm here to hear Jesus out of the way. So I imagine what that scene is like. A significant part of the crowd were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Point number three, we talk about the house. Now, I've spent a bunch of time trying to understand what these houses were like in that region. So they're not like the residences we have. They would take stones and they would make a foundation of stones. Then, from where they were living, they would find mud that they could make bricks. And they would construct the bricks and put them on top of the stones to create the walls. Now, wood was somewhat scarce and important, so they would get some beams and they would lay them across the walls of the residence. And on top of those beams, they would take smaller like branches or small trees, lay them across the beams, and then on top of all that, they would take mud and they would pack it. Now, I'm telling you this for a reason, because it's going to come up in the story real quick. So here they have this hard pack on top of all this wood, and they would keep packing it, and then they would take, oh, sorry, I hit that, and I told myself not to do that. That there is 60 centimeters. They would have stone rollers about this wide, and they'd get somebody up on the roof, and as they were laying the mud down, they would roll it to flatten it and make it tight so that water couldn't get through. And they would have to repeat this occasionally, but that's what the roofs were constructed from. They were strong because the roof of the house would actually act as a second room to the house. So they could go up there by a stairwell that they had built up on the side of the house. They could go up in the summertime when it was real hot. They could sleep up there, possibly cook, do their laundry, take a bath, store stuff all up on this roof. So it was an important part of the structure. So you got that in mind? Hold on to that as we continue on. Remember it as we get to the rest of the story here. Then we read in our text, the text tells us that Jesus preached the word. Now don't miss this. Jesus preached the word. What makes this so important? If you got your Bibles, look over at John chapter 1 and the first few verses, and this is what scripture tells us there. Remember, Jesus preached the the Word. Scripture says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him were all, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made, and that has been made. And it goes on to speak further about Jesus. The Word, the living Word, was standing before them standing before them, presenting a text. Jesus breathed the text because he was the author and the pivotal in inspiration. 
him within the Trinity. He was the author and present as the Trinity with creation. The teachers of the law could instruct on the text, but before them that day stood the very text, breathing the text. What did he speak on? What would he pick as a passage? What if he picked Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which says, in the beginning... Now, we just read over that, but Jesus would stop and say, let me tell you what the beginning looked like. It was empty, it was void, it was formless, but what did that look like? What was the darkness like? Then Scripture tells us, let there be light. Can you imagine the Creator standing up at this pulpit this morning telling you what darkness was and what light was? What a message. What a Sunday morning to be at. And that was Jesus, the author The Word presenting the Word. Don't miss it. What a dynamic morning. Captivated, I'm sure. Everyone was sitting there with their jaw open saying, I have not heard anything like this. Of course not, because it was God come in the flesh. Point number five, the man. The man. We don't know much about him at all. Very, very little. No name is provided. Where was his home? Where did he come from? Was he from Capernaum? What was the cause of his condition? We don't know. Was he born paralyzed? Was it an accident? Or was it a result of sinful living? Maybe these four guys with him had all been up to something bad, and this man was now paralyzed. You say, well, what difference would that make to the story? Stick with me as we get to that fortissimo. Most important question, why was the man coming to Jesus? Now you may say, I already got that answered. Carry on, preacher. 12 o'clock's coming. Stick with me. There's an important lesson here. You're going to want to stay tuned. The companions. It is only Mark's gospel account that tells us that there were four companions. Why four? Well, it could be because there were four corners to the mat and they needed to carry him. We don't know how far, but there were four corners to the mat. But we know this, we know this, that they were motivated. They were earnest in their task. And they took ownership to this man's situation. You see, they wanted an open door but could not be deterred. What did they say when they got to the home and they were denied entry? Ah, or this is a downer, what a drag. What if their language was colorful? That's being polite for swearing. What if it was like that? Do you know, if you want to learn a man's true temperament, hit his finger with a hammer. Okay, you find out a lot about a guy real quick. That's a shame. If you watched Princess Bride decades ago, that one classic line, inconceivable. Was it that? James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 tells us very clearly that faith without works is what? Dead. Faith needs to be coupled with action. Faith always involves action. Just read Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the fundamental belief that God has set me to this task and he... God will make a way. The task may seem impossible, but the man or woman in God's employ looks to the divine provider who is not barred 
by the natural realm. Naturally, we can't get in to see Jesus. Doesn't matter. There's a way. Faith grasps the promise that God is able and he will do this. You set to the task. You don't know the conclusion, but you don't deter and wane in the task because you know God is in it and he is taking you that direction. The door may be closed, friend, but let's find the window that God is opening. Right? Or in this case, let's find the rooftop that God has made available. Their initial situation would have been concern for the man, but that quickly moved to compassion, which quickly moved to a conviction that something needed to be done. And they embraced community. It may have started with one colleague, but it quickly grew to four, and that's community. They determined a path together, and they moved together toward Capernaum. They welcomed the challenge. They knew the conclusion was in God's hands. That is so like our culture, unlike our culture today, so unlike our culture. Our culture believes if you throw enough money at something, it'll fix the problem. Sorry. It doesn't fix the problem. We've proved that over and over again. Problems are addressed. Your neighbor's faith, your neighbor's marriage, your wayward child, your trouble through work, your unemployment is solved through faith in Christ, putting your trust in him. He knows you woke up this morning, his plan is in motion. Turn unto him. He stands on the sidelines saying, pick me, I'm here to make the difference. Will you trust me in this? These men with their colleague trust, trusted in the Lord. There was no fairy dust, pixie dust. There was Christ. The entry. Now we're getting near that fortissimo. Okay, stay with me here. The entry. Who came up with the idea of a rooftop entry? Who came up with that? Was it when they realized that the door was blocked, but there was a stairwell? Tools, where did they get the tools to enter through the roof? Were the tools there on the roof? Had they brought them with them? Where did they get the rope? They got a lower buddy down with rope, so they need four pieces of strong rope to lower their colleague before Jesus. Let's get off track for a minute, interrupting the preacher. There's many things that interrupt the preacher, you know, when he's speaking. If you've been around church long enough, you've seen a few, right? There, uh, I was asked to come be on staff at a church in Abbotsford, didn't end up going there, but they said, hey, one thing about being in Abbotsford is you've got to remember there is a thing called the Abbotsford Air Show, and that's a difficult Sunday to be at church because there's lots of planes coming over the church. Airplanes, trains. Fire alarm should that go off. Babies, snoring. If you're a snorer and you're nodding off, we may hear from you yet this morning. I've actually seen a guy bring a newspaper to church and open the newspaper and read it during the service. Lots of things can interrupt the preacher. How about those dear souls that believe at 12 o'clock, that's the holy hour that the alarm has to go off because the preacher's spoken long enough. Serious, it happens. Okay, lots of things can interrupt the preacher, but I want you to imagine with me if you're sitting near the front row today and all of a sudden there's some dirt particles coming from the ceiling. Just a few, and you think, well, okay, that's all right. There's 
Must have been a train going by, shimmering. And all of a sudden, next you see particles of dirt landing on you and around you. And then pieces of, well, sticks coming from the roof, and then clumps of dirt falling from above. You would notice this. I'm confident of that. You'd be asking the question, what's going on? See, I think that hole in the roof must have been somewhere around two feet wide by six feet long in order to get Buddy through the roof. A large hole. And I can imagine the Pharisees on the front row grumbling because they were listening to this dynamic message that was being interrupted. I think Jesus just plowed right through until the guy actually got in front of them. But this is all happening. Have you ever stopped to ask, what about the homeowner? What was he or she thinking? Like, I mean, if somebody just put a two-by-four hole right there, your chairman of the board or your guy in charge of maintenance would probably be making a commotion. But this is all happening right there. Large pieces, but they are not set back. They will continue because they believe this man needs to see the Lord Jesus. Now we're getting to that climax. That part, if you can imagine, where the guy's standing at the back of the orchestra and he's got those two symbols, those two hat-like things that he's holding like this, and he's just waiting for the conductor to just point at him, and he's going to let her go. We're getting to that, because now we're going to talk about the authority of the Lord Jesus. We read in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, I already read that for you, that it says there that the power of the Lord was present for him, Jesus, to heal the sick. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 20, Jesus saying, but look, I want to tell you about the authority that is present for me. And Jesus says, I have the authority to forgive sins. This is the authority that was present in that room in that house as people were gathered together. What a dynamic place to be. And now we come to point number nine. You with me? The title for the, the message from the text. When Jesus saw their faith in verse number five. Notice it says their faith. Plural. Not just the man that's coming from the roof. Plural. When he saw the faith of the five, what does Jesus say? How does he respond? Do you notice that? Very important. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is one of the most dynamic things you need to remember before you get to your roast this afternoon, okay? We look at people and we say, well, their need is that. They can't walk. They can't make a living. They can't, they can't take care of that basic task. That's their need. Jesus looks where? To the heart. And he sees the heart. And as he looked at this man, he saw a spiritual need. Sure, he was paralyzed, but Jesus saw deeper. And he says, this man needs a touch from the Savior. How do you see faith? Faith is an expression of the heart. You'll see it lived out in a person's belief. You'll also see it displayed in a person's action. Jesus looks to the heart. It's shown in scripture elsewhere. Remember Nicodemus came to Jesus one day and he says, Jesus, I'd like to have a theological discussion with you. I'd like to understand a few things. And Jesus looked at him and said, what? Nicodemus, you must be born again. 
right to the heart. The woman at the well said, hey, that's really great teaching you've got. Why don't you give me this water so that I don't have to keep coming back here with my bucket and I'll never have to draw again? And what did Jesus say to her? Hey, if you grew up in Sunday school, you got the answer. I know that. He said, go call your husband. Went right to the heart. You've got a spiritual condition that you're not addressing. Let's talk about that. Jesus saw the man coming from above, and he said that man's greatest need at this moment is to know forgiveness of sin. That's, what's, that's the fortissimo here. That's what Jesus looks for. Don't let that walk you by. See, as one commentator said, what good is it if the man had two good feet to walk into hell? What good would that be? He needed a change in his life, and he needed forgiveness. Jesus knew in his spirit what the Pharisees were thinking in Mark 2.8. Jesus also knew what the ache of the soul was for this man, and that was to find forgiveness. Forgiveness for what? We're not told, but Jesus offered him as none other could, offered him forgiveness. Wow, wow. Let's take a moment or two before we conclude to talk about the other healing. There were two healings that took place here. Two healings. You see, the, other, the Pharisees got it all wrong. You could read it on their faces. I'm sure they had frowns. Their lip was up. You know how it goes. They get all angry. And their arms were crossed sitting on the front there saying, who's this man that can forgive sins? Who's this man? Jesus looked past the criticism. He looked past it and he looked to the man. Now, get this. Jesus looks to the man and what does he tell him? He's just forgiven him of his sins and the man is on a new journey in life. Jesus says, I tell you, I have the authority to forgive sins, but I have the authority and the power to heal. So I tell you, eyeball to eyeball, looking at the man. What does that mean? That means Jesus is reaching into his life and saying, do you truly believe who I am and what I'm capable of? And he does that. Remember he did that with the disciples? He questioned them. He says, who do men say that I am? Well, some say this, some say that. And then what's he asked next? Who do you say I am? And friends, that's pivotal in our work among people. Yeah, we can talk about whether you're Baptist or something else. We can talk about your position on end times. And you can talk about, uh, you know, all sorts of faith issues. But it's going to come down to one critical thing. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? So Jesus is asking that with, with this statement. I tell you, and on the basis of that, what you believe, get up, take your mat, and what's he tell him to do next? What we say at the front of the message? Go home. Home is so important. Jesus says, I want you to go home, and I'm sure it's partly that he could tell other people about this message and this Messiah, but also he could be restored that way. Home is so important, folks. Maybe it had been years since he had been home. Maybe whatever caused his paralysis was why he hadn't gone home. We're not sure. But Jesus says, get home. Picks up his mat. Picks up his mat. We're at the conclusion now. Four things you can go home with here today. The man came in through the roof. But where'd he go out? Through the door. 
Jesus does that for folks. We come in with hurting. We're reliant on other people. We're in need. We're in pain. We're suffering. Our anguish is great. But Jesus gets us out through the door, completely changes our direction and focus on life. Do not discredit, please, do not discredit how people may unconventionally come to know the Savior. We may think that the only way you can find Jesus is to come down this aisle with an altar call, bend here and pray the prayer of faith, and then we'll baptize you. But I'm here to tell you, not everybody will find Jesus exactly like that. Unconventional ways through the roof. But they find Jesus. Why? Because Jesus saw their faith. The difference between the roof and the door was that this man had met the Savior. Restoration was on two fronts. He found restoration for his soul, but he also found restoration for the soles of his feet. Jesus healed him on multiple fronts. That's our Savior. He cares about us entirely. Now, you got to think about this before we go. What was it like out on the street? When the guy that was the paralytic walked out through the door, who met him at the door? Four guys. Can you imagine what kind of reunion that was? Can you imagine? They had been carrying him for blocks or miles. We don't know, maybe days. But now they met him for a heavenly reunion out on the street. And I can just imagine what kind of dancing Jake they were doing, but they were thrilled together. Heaven's going to be like that, folks. That is just a prelude to what heaven's like when you step into eternity. And the friends and family that have gone before you will be standing there greeting you. My dear mom died several years ago. She had been in a wheelchair for years, suffered multiple strokes, loved Jesus, served him with all she could, right up to her last days, cared about people greatly. And I believe and I know heaven has no more restrictions. And I believe she's just up there dancing and having a glorious time singing. And when I show up on that other side, she's going to be there and say, Ben, it's so good to see you. I got some stuff to show you. And she's going to tour me around and say, oh, by the way, Jesus is here. Let's go take a look. Let's meet him. There's going to be even a better reunion up there. What a heavenly reunion, this side of glory. Last thing, he went home. He went home. Jesus is calling you, friends. If you don't know him, he is but a faith walk away. Do you believe in who he is? What he has done on your behalf? Have you expressed your faith? Don't make your conversations with your friends, your neighbors, your family, your workmates complicated. Don't make it complicated. Reach out to him and say, hey, who, who is Jesus? Ask the question. Engage in a meaningful conversation. Ask yourself, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do that I can help others find you? Maybe you've got to start looking for some rope. Maybe an axe. Maybe it's a roof you've got to go through. What are you willing to do? What is Jesus calling you to do today? Don't shy from it because he's gone before you. He'll give you the grace to do it. 
What a wonderful story. I think we're going to conclude there with a prayer and uh, just ask that God would bless your day and use you in a mighty way. I love this story, and uh, I hope you've uh, gained by God's Spirit as you've walked through this together with me. Let's stand as we dismiss in prayer, please. Gracious God, we are thankful that you love us and nothing we could do to deserve that love. Thank you that you call us as ambassadors for you to a hurting people, a hurting world. Help us to just be those ones that introduce them to your love today. Whoever that may be that you're placing on our hearts, we know that your grace is sufficient to carry us through whatever you have for us to do. Whatever burden we might be carrying, we choose to lay it back at your feet, thanking you that you meet us there. You already know about it. Meet the need, I pray, by your grace today, Lord Jesus. Now may your blessing and grace and abundance rest upon each and every person here. Might we know your peace, Lord Jesus, your presence, and your power in our lives. As we go from here, we give you praise and thank you for our time together. Thank you for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, each one. We're dismissed.